Johnny and Pauline Patterson are the co-founders of the British beauty and skincare brand Dr. Pawpaw. Best known for its multi-purpose products that nourish the skin, hair and body, Dr. Pawpaw has become a go-to brand and I cannot wait to hear the journey through their story today. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I've decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other. It can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you're an entrepreneur or you're just simply curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now, without further ado, it's a delight to welcome our guests for today, Johnny and Pauline Patterson. They're the husband and wife power couple behind the skincare and beauty brand, Dr. Popo. In the search for a natural solution to help soothe their daughter's eczema, Johnny and Pauline launched Dr. Popo in 2013 and happy 10 year anniversary guys with a multi-purpose band that could be used on the lips, skin and hair. Their range now spans tinted palms, hand creams and hair care and each product is packed full of nourishing skin healing superfoods including a new trademarked ingredient papaya luronic which combines eight hyaluronic acids and papaya extract. With Johnny's extensive background in PR and Pauline's vision to bring Pawpaw infused skincare to the UK, Dr. Pawpaw has truly become a beauty fave. And it's my absolute honor and pleasure to have them both with us today. So thank you so much for being with us, guys. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely delighted to be with you. And what an amazing intro. Yeah. Well, only because of the amazing things you guys have done, but this is just a snapshot. There's so yeah. much more that I can't wait to unpack in this pod. Um, but before I do, I know you guys have listened to the podcast, so maybe be prepared this answer maybe you haven't but who in a nutshell are you guys so i'm going to start with johnny who are you johnny in a nutshell uh i am an entrepreneur i am a pr and marketing expert uh, and i am a father and a husband and pauline my role within the uh company now as as ceo johnny is um equal coo as well is really sort of working on the npd and working on all the products and the supplies and you know bringing all the products to market and you know being compliant globally which is another whole challenge okay. sort of you know dealing with brexit america you know the far east um so yeah so that's really my role um with within the company and I, and I absolutely love it uh where i came from was i was actually a hairdresser um by trade um and i spent the last 13 years of my career at weller professionals and in particular at weller professionals was when png also known as procter and gamble sort of took over so i got a real insight into like testing products and bringing a brand to market and everything we need to do did and how we had to explain it so and that's really what gave me sort of you know sort of confidence or the ideas shall we say to really sort of help bring Dr. Paul Paul to market as well so me and Johnny mm-hmm. like you know we've got very different skill sets um, and I think that they absolutely complement um, each other completely because I I couldn't do my side without without his experience and without his knowledge and I'd I'd like to think vice 
vice versa as well. Definitely, and, yes, definitely, darling. I am a mum and a wife as well. Too. So there is definitely that juggle of I can imagine family work. I mean, we say Doctor Pauper is like our third baby. Yeah, because um, we because we have two kids. Well, human, human children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I can, but I, I mean, as someone who's got co-founder with uh, my sister, you know, working with a loved one, it really is your superpower, but let's not get it twisted. It can also be a lot of work as well. Yeah. But I think it's, it's exciting to see uh, so many more today. I think there's like a, for me, it was like, um, like my generations so of my father and, and family business, especially in India was always promoted. And then there was like this gap where like, I just barely saw family or loved ones going into business together. Uh, and now I think it's starting a lot more like the last 10 years, I've seen a lot more of this and especially the last couple of years. Um, but what's it like overall? Um, do you feel it's your superpower working with each other? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you mentioned it earlier in your introduction it can feel quite lonely when you yeah. are a, a founder. I was lucky enough to be the managing director of a PR agency before I uh, did Paw Paw. And at times it could feel quite lonely because you're making a lot of decisions by yourself. Um, whereas now with Pauline, um, when the, are we allowed to swear on here, by the way? You can swear, absolutely. Yeah. So when, when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> I can basically go home to Pauline and we can work our way through it together. And, yeah. you know, a, a problem shared is a problem halved. I, I cannot. Exactly. Um, oh, I love that. I mean, I've never heard that. Oh, have you not? No. Why have I not heard this in my 30s? <laughs> it's so great. It's so obvious, but so good. It's quite a common phrase. Um, I feel like it is. And I feel silly to admit that I've never heard that. But I just feel like I haven't heard that. I like that. I, I think where it can be quite difficult, though, is where you look for each other's support and advice and you hear mm. the advice and then you think, no, I don't want to go that way. <laughs> and then yeah. it's trying to, you know, let the other person down gently because at the end of the day, you just need to talk. It's not always about necessarily taking advice. It, it can just be to air out how you're you're feeling. But I highly recommend it. And if you don't have uh, a co-founder, then building a team around you who are almost like family, and that's how we treat mm -hmm. our team. You know, we never use the word staff. It's a banned word at Dr. Paul Paul. You know, their team, their family. Um, we know everything about them and they know everything about us and we'll do everything to support them. So I think, yeah, if you don't have that, get a great team. And you need to get a, a, a team family that feels the same sentiment because I do think it's important to know not everyone sees business in the same way. I know there are employees that are like, don't say we're a family, you know, like this is work yes. and paycheck and leave. And it's like, Ooh, I don't want you in my company if you would say that, because that's not how I want to run my, my, my business. Cause my business for me has to be bringing me joy it's, it's, it's a, exactly it's like it's like a child right you don't you yeah. some people operate it differently some people business is just a means yeah. it's okay too we so i think it's about really understanding that we yeah. we're, we're we have a culture we have a mission and we have a mm. purpose um and I, I feel like we want everyone to share that with us it you know of mm. course we're here to make money grow business make be profitable but at the same time as well we want to have fun and yeah. do good whilst doing it. We have this uh, ethos, which is on our website, on our business. You know, we make you look good, feel good, but know that you're doing good when you buy our products because we donate to to charities around the world, and that's that's something that we're we're proud of. Uh, rightly so. Well, 
Well, we'll get to the story of how Dr. Popo truly came to be, but I do want to talk a bit about your initial both like experiences growing up. And I'll start with you, Pauline, because um, Australian born, am I correct in saying? Yes, yes. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. So I was born and raised uh, in Australia. And again, that's where sort of like I started my my hairdressing career. But again, you know, the the Australian sort of say like beauty and and skincare was was so different um, to sort of you know sort of coming over here. There are so many different brands um, that are you know sort of how what you call household names over here in the UK um, that you know Australia had never heard of, and vice versa. Like all of the products and things that I'd grown up with when I sort of came over um, to the UK, you know, I was I was going to like my Boots or Superdrug, which we haven't got Boots or Superdrug out there anyway so I was even like trying to find like my you know my home comforts um there was just no not a lot of brands other than like the really massive ones um that that were similar so yeah so it, it was really weird even though like I always sort of thought oh I'm Australian part of the Commonwealth like coming over here it was it was definitely a shock because there was definitely a lot of um different things and not just in beauty even in food and you know things like that that um that just made you feel like you were actually really far away because there wasn't any of those um home com- comforts and obviously you know one of them was was pawpaw um you know pawpaw was in almost everything uh back home you know from sort of like baby products hair products lip balms you know it was such a common ingredient i guess the equivalent to what maybe you guys would have as aloe vera um, yeah. you know, I, over here, uh, back in the days, we, we did have some aloe vera over there, but again, we we're very much eucalyptus, eucalyptus, you know, eucalyptus was in everything. And then I think the equivalent over here is like tea tree. And I'm like, it smells the same. It feels the same. But obviously we all call it eucalyptus over here. So when I had a cold and I was looking for eucalyptus, I'm like, I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like, what is this tea tree? What is Olbus oil? Like, you know, so it's just, it was just so like different navigating that, you know, first of all, finding your boots and then looking for some of the products or things that you wanted or felt like you needed. So, um, so yeah, things were very, very different to what I, what I grew up with then to coming over here. And I, I came here in the, like in 99. So, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was different. It was different. It was before the internet. It was before Amazon. It was like, yeah. you know, it was, yeah, it was late 90s. Oh, but it's good. It's really, I love hearing these stories because it, it kind of shows some of the inspiration of like, uh, people truly don't see, get to see in this very ephemeral, like a uh, brand world, you know, you only have a five by seven or one little like sentence. We don't get to hear the story of what, what really inspired the creation of a brand and these stories from childhood, which are so innately powerful and connective. Um, and when I read, like you grew up eating purple fruit and this and that, like, I was just like, oh, this is like what I really want to, um, I could visualize that story, uh, growing up and, uh, also quite jealous because yeah, in London, UK, I was born and raised in London. I didn't get the best choice of fruit always but, but <laughs> <laughs> safe to say we do but then it's really expensive and it's like flown across the world yeah but uh you know what it is <laughs> yeah. but um but yeah uh we'd love to know a little bit about your sort of upbringing too and then eventually maybe you can both share how you both met yeah no definitely so um i thought i'd go back a little bit further because i think sometimes if there's people listening into the podcast like you know how did he fall into marketing and then how did mm. we start poor poor i mean Actually, I wanted to be a singer-songwriter when I was younger. Um, I, I could play the guitar, I could write music, I can sing. And up until I was doing this basically full-time, right up until the age of 16. And of course, at 16, 
you need to start making money to to pay your way. And my my father, who had a, a marketing agency, said, you know, why don't you come and just do a couple of days a week for me? Uh, because that way you can earn your money and you can keep doing your singing and you know guitar in London. So uh, I, I joined, and um, two days led to three days. Three days led to four days. Four days led to five days, and then eventually I, I started to run the agency. So uh, I became a full-flung marketeer, and I absolutely loved it because I loved the fact that you could create a story or content mm-hmm. that a journalist would pick up on and you know do a whole page about my clients um i also started winning clients quite early on as well so at the age of 18 i was winning quite large beauty businesses hair care businesses and so i knew I had a knack for selling too um but yeah i i think it just where it all really blew up for for me personally was when social media came along uh facebook then instagram and mainly be because I love working with journalists. It's it's one of the things that we still love to do today. We have a whole in-house team. But the fact that we could talk directly to the end consumer through a social media channel and what we say is printed word for word or said word for word just blew me away. And then that's when our agency really took off because we embraced social media and social media advertising, which we still do today as a, as a company. We have 300,000 followers across TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, never mind our email marketing list. It's something that we really pride ourselves as being what we call in our team a social brand. Um, so, yeah, so that that's where it takes me up to. And then th- at this point, I'm starting to think, hey, I'm really helping lots of other businesses make lots of money. Um, why aren't I doing this? You know, yeah. <laughs> why can't I create something that can sell when I'm asleep? Because I, I looked at the agency and really worked out in my head that we were nine to five. Well, we say nine to five, but, uh, you know, it was much more hours than that. But we obviously have to sleep at some point. And when you're asleep, you're not making money. And I always used to say to Pauline, one day we're going to have something that we're making money whilst we're asleep. So you wake up in the morning, there's orders lying there. And I, that was just that was the embryo of my dream if you like that's so cool it's so true that there is that kind of catalyst i mean also funny because you used to be the MD of catalyst that PR, was the name right? of the agent there you go <laughs> that words uh but there is a catalyst moment in your catalyst journey that um that you have this aha i do get asked this question of like when why because you were there for many years and you know and, and then and then this happened now and, and I can tell you like from a little anecdote like when I was at Dior I was very close to my CEO and I used to go to, um he used to always like call me into these like fake meetings and I'll be like what's happening he's like we're doing puzzles I was like okay so I would literally do puzzles with him and um <laughs> we would brainstorm and we were both like saying at one point I hope I don't get in trouble saying this but it's fine he's left Dior now uh, but I was gonna <laughs> say we, we um we were always saying like uh I want to create a brand he was like I want to create a brand and I was like whoa like I thought like I got to stay here for a couple more years to get experience before I'm ready. But you've been, you know, in Unilever, Dior, you've been for many years running these ships and you're still saying you're not ready. So when is the moment, right? It's hard to do the, the take the leap of faith. What was that catalyst for you for, and for you guys, I guess? Yeah. I'll let Pauline tell you the story, but I'll just quickly come on to that because that's mm. probably the question that, I tend to get asked all the time, Pauline, I don't know about you, uh, you know, 
how did you come up with it? Um, what was the concept? And I suppose I try to always think things through, not scientifically, but with theory. And basically, you either need to have something that's never been done before, an innovation, pretty tough to come up with. Some companies have done it and my hats are off to them. There's usually a genius behind it. Or you have something that's not readily available to the customer and it's in such high demand, um, you know, obviously with your own steer on it, et cetera. And I think that we went with the, the latter. You know, we, we saw an opportunity that wasn't being looked after, whether it be that the product quality we felt that wasn't there or the awareness wasn't there or it wasn't in supply here in the UK. And that's where we wanted to go first, clearly just dominate our our UK market. And I think that's where part of the idea came behind Dr. Paul Paul. But I think Pauline will be able to say a bit more about the story because you, you did talk about the daughter. That was another part of the story because I think they do come together. You know, it's not just one thing and you go bang. It, it's two or three little things that lead up to this moment. Definitely. I mean, I, I do still think I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I, I never thought or had that in my head that, oh, one day I want to be an entrepreneur. It kind of happened. And I would say it happened through like a catalogue of things. I mean, first of all, the truth. Not a catalogue of, of errors. <laughs> no, hopefully not. No, because I think we got, we did get what we set out to do. Um, but, um, but I think for us, the trigger was, and whether this is about being sort of ready or not, or most people would be like, oh my God, that's the worst time to start the brand, um, was actually when we had kids. Um, because, you know, me and Johnny were both working in central London. We had, you know, our London flat and it was all fine. And then it wasn't until we actually had our daughter, we're, we're like, um, and especially after going back to work after maternity leave with her, just going, oh my God, this is really difficult now. We've got like this baby that we're putting into childcare at like seven o'clock in the morning. And then because I was customer facing in my job and so was Johnny, like one of us are having to race home to pick her up at 6 p.m. You know, and it's like, and it's not just you can go, right, shut down the computer, I'm off. Uh, the reason why I, w I was running late or wasn't because I was like in a meeting or face to face with a client's hair in my hands, you know, and Johnny was the same. So we're like, right, I don't think we, you know, we were like, we don't think we can sustain this for much longer. We really need to find something either. I think we're kind of looking for me to go do something that I could go part time with. So it wasn't such a burden, you know, have have Jasmine half the time and only put in her into this long childcare, you know, all the way around. Because, again, you know, we couldn't afford a nanny, um, you know, uh, back then either. Um, and so then I think that sort of triggered us to start, you know, that kind of almost, I would say it kind of planted the light bulb and we were waiting to turn it on. <laughs> we're like, yeah. life needs to change. We need to find something. What's it going to be? And then it wasn't until our daughter did get eczema um, and the we tried everything on shelf and nothing worked. And then the doctors, we took it to the doctors and the GP said, well, the only thing I can recommend is to put on steroid creams. Now, again, being from the hairdressing background, I knew how sensitive baby skin was and what a harsh ingredient it was because you know, part of my role in the global testing team was looking at ingredients, looking at their side effects, you know, and just understanding if there was going to be any repercussions about some of the ingredients that you know, were going into things. Yes, the scientists might say that's a good ingredient, but it hasn't actually going to react to people's skin, different skin types, you know, et cetera. Um, and so then we just started looking for more uh, natural alternatives. And I happened to have 
one of my Australian pawpaw balms uh, with me um, and I just tried it on because like literally we were trying everything I was buying aloe vera plants snapping them off you know trying to do that Um, and then and then literally this pawpaw balm just worked and I was like oh my god and then it was like you know I sort of I can't believe that's the thing that's worked and that's the only thing we can't get over here as well Uh, because again I'd already again because of my hairdressing background I'd worked with a lot of makeup artists doing you know photo shoots and fashion shoots you know and I'd always sort of see that they'd have it in their makeup kit and I'm like oh god you know where'd you get that from they're like oh we can only get it when somebody goes to Australia when somebody goes Mm -hmm. to Australia we send them with the list that we want you know Johnny had been to Australia he'd seen me I think the first year I maybe bought back about five balms I think by the end of it I was bringing back about 30 or 40 of these different like pawpaw balms, some with manuka honey, some with cucumber, some with pineapple. Like people would just put in their orders and I would just, every time I went to Australia, I'd, I'd bring it back. And so Johnny's like, why is the only thing that's working is the one thing we can't get in this country? It was so such a, a double-edged sword. And so we tried for years to bring um, one of the Australian brands over and they just would not export Um, they refused us uh, quite well. First of all, we didn't hear anything for ages. Then we finally got a very strong no saying they didn't want to export and they were just uh, keeping it in Australia. And then we went to another company and again, we tried, but because of their claims and their packaging, they weren't EU and UK compliant. Um, So it was like, well, would you change your packaging for the UK? And they're like, absolutely not. I'm like, okay. Um, and then again, because of my hairdressing background and because of Johnny launching new brands, he actually knew somebody that was starting their own sort of shampoo range. And he's like, right, how have you done that? How have you started that? And they're like, through a contract manufacturer. So then that's when Johnny's like, right, okay, let's just make it ourselves. Let's go and meet this contract manufacturer. Let's meet the chemist, the science. And really, that's how we kind of like learned about it. And then when we had that first meeting, they were like, right, we need a brief we need what you want in it, what you don't want in it, um, and then we'll take it from there. Samples, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and so that's how how it started. But I think we started it while both of us were still working because you know we couldn't, you know, yeah. we could, you know, I I couldn't give up the job, you know, with I, with a baby and and Johnny. So that's how we did start it. But just just to add, I think at that meeting, Pauline, you know, with the chemist, that's where some of the pillars were initially put in about the brand you know what we wouldn't say or wouldn't like how do I say um we wouldn't accept you know the things that we we must fundamentally be about the brand so natural vegan you know cruelty free Uh, all those things like innovating right like you said you don't want to launch something without it going even better so it's taking what you're inspired by but with your non-negotiables and innovation which is so important yes yes and then, and really, from from that moment on, uh, we had a product that was, you know, good to go. Uh, because of my PR and marketing background, I wrote to all the buyers, press release, gift box, you know, all beautifully packaged, sustainably packaged. And this was still in 2013. And Harvey Nichols called us back and said, "We want to list you." QVC called us back, "We want to list you." And then it just rolled. Um, and so, yeah, and within, you know. I mean, it was still early days, but we had a, a nice turnover within a couple of years. Pauline was working full time on the brand. I was still working at the PR agency and I continued to do so until 2020. But um, yeah. 
and I, we can go into more of that if you want to know and at then, some uh, stage. Yeah. Well, but, I guess I have quite a few questions to, before we get yes. to that point, because I want to know about first, like, what was the reaction to Paw Because did a lot of people know hear about have a try like you know was that something that was education was needed to be done well i think what we did quite um strategically was we put our samples in a plain white tube and then i was mm. handing them out to all the friends that were using the australian brands that when we i'm like what do you think of this one and they're like it's it's for a friend you know somebody else is thinking about launching one over here you know what do you think about that would you buy a british brand um, you know, if, if, if you, if you love the Australian brands, um, but because one, they didn't know it was us, there was no emotional control to it. It was in a white blank tube. So it was like what you'd call a blind test and they absolutely tried it. And they're like, right, no, we, we feel this is too greasy compared to this one, or we don't like the smell of that one. So we got really honest feedback from quite close friends and family that still to this day going, we can't believe that was Dr. Pawpaw that we were testing. Obviously, it didn't even have a name back then or anything. Um, so I think it's really important to get that blind testing before, again, what you think and what you love, you're one person, but you need a majority. You really need a majority and you need a majority of people, particularly in beauty of different skin types, uh, different skin conditions um, and and different usages. Because again, like I said, I had makeup artists that were using it as a primer. I had people using it as a lip balm and I had people with eczema using it or dermatitis, again, hairdressers using it as that. So I wanted them all to try it and make sure that it, that they all worked and that they all approved it. Um, and we did have a few a few tweaks to it as well because one of the things that I really wanted to do is make sure that there was no nuts in there, so no argan oil, no almond oil, because, again, if you've got a nut allergy, you really are going to steer away from that. So we wanted to make it 100% inclusive. Um, and so I think it was that testing um, that sort of really helped us uh, sort of get that clear idea that, okay, this is going to work this is, and, and, and this is going to sell. Big, big part of selling is the distribution. And you mentioned, Johnny, about like, you know, going out to an army of database. And was it like, um, just talk us a bit more deeper into that. Like, did you have first dream retailers? Was it more of a wholesale, like as many, because it's a bit more of a, a product that's at a, a, I wouldn't, what would you categorize? This is mastige, mass, like what would you say this product lies in and therefore the distribution accordingly? Yeah, yeah. We, we're certainly mastige. We don't consider ourselves cheap. We don't ex consider ourselves expensive. We're like the above price uh, lip balm, uh, if you look, say, in the lip care category. And we've, we've tended to roll that out into our hair care and then obviously most recently to our skin care. Um, we feel that that works well for, for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in the early days, I mean, we're going to talk about it today, but this is a bootstrap business even to, to this day. We are 100% owners, uh, growing 40% year on year for the last two years. Um, amazing. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes we do have to pat ourselves on the back. You have to. And, and like after you, you, you talk about this, you like talk about that for a bit more, because I think that's such an important factor about being self-funded um, for as long as you can and what it takes. Yeah. So, yeah, we are a, a bootstrap business. And I think in the early days, you know, I mean, we didn't know the buyers that say some of the other beauty brands know. And I know that they've initially gone straight to Sephora. They've gone to Boots and they've got full exclusivity listings. Uh, we didn't have that, Pauline. And I. Pauline was a, a, a hairdresser. Uh, I was a PR man. Um, but what we lack in, um, say, knowledge of contacts, we have in full enthusiasm. 
Um, and so um, within the first few years, we were just really basically sending our samples to beauty buyers all across the, the UK. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, people just keep coming back to us because people have heard of us and then some people haven't. So in the early days, I would say half the audience had heard of us and half the audience hadn't. So we were lucky to get that early bit of success. So, you know, Look Fantastic, uh, who always remained a supporter, Harvey Nichols, QVC, Superdrug, were all buying into the brand amazingly well in the early days. Um, we also got to meet the Department of International Trade uh, quite early on, and they suggested that we'd go to this show called Cosmoprof in Bologna. Uh, now, if anybody is listening to this, will know that Cosmoprof Bologna is the biggest beauty show in the world. Uh, if you're there, you will see, you know, Korean distributors, Chinese distributors, American retailers, British retailers. Strangely, we all travel to Italy to go and do business. I about to say, and, and <laughs> yeah, don't let the Bologna confuse it because like, a lot of people can be like, what? But it's like, it is the biggest. There's many other Cosmoprofs, right? Yes, Vegas, of course. But that's the, the one to go. Yeah, that is it, the... it certainly is. And we've done them all and we've done many shows and I've got lots of advice on how you pick up these these leads. But, you know, we're just talking about these early days. I'm going back to young Johnny and Pauline here, turned up with a, I think it was a, a four by two stand, you know, some posters up and a chair and, you know, some samples. And... No word of a lie, Pauline and I had to stand on chairs to talk to the crowd because we were so knee-deep in people. We didn't just have one or two people standing there. You know, we would have rows of six, just people going back, and we would have to stand and basically scream at the top of voices, telling everybody the story of this product because everybody was so interested in it. And really, from that moment on, I think we noted that we have something that people want, not only in the UK, but globally. You know, we had Polish distributors, South African distributors, um, all coming up to saying, I know this brand, I've been wanting it for years. Could you let us export for you? And really, it it took off. And then I think now we've, after that show, it was about being more strategic in the the retailers and the distributors that we were trying to find. Because, of course, you can sell to lots of people, but trying to get the right partners is obviously can be quite challenging. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really the, the early days in terms of the, the sales. Amazing. And, and do, do you have an advice for anyone that has um, got the connection? Right? So they've got that email. And then they're about yep. to pitch. Uh, the, the pitch is, you, you, you said you made the decks yourself. And uh, yes. obviously now, don't maybe not, not channel 2013, 2014, because it, they're a different game now. You probably would do things a bit differently, right? With the buyer's landscape today. But what would you say uh, is that little tip, secret sauce? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, there's two ways of looking at it, really, because I think like, some of our beauty I wouldn't say, like you said, I don't call them competitors. I don't see anybody as a competitor, really. I just think they're people helping grow our market. Um, but to give, if I was giving somebody advice today, I think you've got to look at it two ways. Um, are you going to go down the exclusivity route where you try and find yourself that retail partner? Uh, now, we have exclusivity with a number of retail partners and it's really really beneficial because they really support us they promote about the brand we make the most of the exclusivity uh, arrangement but in 
And, and that's something that you should consider. And if you can afford to have the time to build the brand through an exclusivity agreement, knowing that your sales are only going to come through one channel and you're not worried about being exposed to that retailer one day switching your sales off, then go for it. Obviously, there is the D2C market, which, you know, all we hear now for the last six to 12 months, it's become extremely hard to to make the money that you can because of the costs of PPC and social media advertising. But that's another route. Our route, and I have absolutely no regrets uh, over it, was to, you know, try and get into as many credible doors and many credible wholesale partners as we could to build the business because we bootstrapped. You know, we didn't have that early investor who gave us, say, a million pounds and said, take your time, find the right partners, and we'll keep on investing as we go. We had to make the cash work. Um, I feel like one of the benefits that, that Pauline and I both give the business is that Pauline obviously is an incredible presenter. So when we put her in front of retailers and distributors, you know, they're, they're getting an A-class presenter that, you know, are going to blow their socks off about knowledge and product quality. Um, where I come in is that my PR and marketing background, I can keep the cost low on the marketing. So you mentioned it there. You know, if you get a listing with a, a major retailer, they're going to come at you for trade marketing and listing fees. And if you're bootstrapped, you, know, you just don't have £400,000 aside just to, to launch into a retailer. So in those early days, it was all about the guerrilla marketing that we created for the business. And as I ran a PR agency for, for 20 years, I had the knowledge to get the coverage, the support, and the social media advertising to drive customers into their stores. And that really turned them on and got us a lot of, you know, should we say early listings without cost. I still actually, you know, we're actually talking to a lot of investors at the moment and when they look at our business they say how do you spend so little on marketing you know and it's we say because we have a marketing brain you know the a lot of the I brought a lot of the PR agency team with me and they're still with me today because I love their knowledge um so yeah I, I don't think there's any right or wrong way in terms of where you go I think you just have to think you know which way do I go where I can continue to make money and profit so it's those three options, I, I, I think, and it's, do you have the time? That's very true. Well, can we talk a little bit about um, the, the self-funding part? Because you, you mentioned it briefly, but I think just like the, um, it's a hard, it's, a, it's an interesting one because you could, we could all see it as a, a, a positive or a negative, depending, right? Like it, it's a, exactly. having funding is a great thing. Having self, being self-funded is also luxury, not luxury. Like just tell us a bit about your thoughts on it and sort of your advice to those that are bootstrapping it in this very heavily VC world of beauty. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously, I think now we're getting to the stage of our growth where, you know, we're going into the tens of millions in revenue and clearly bigger retailers want to play with us we you know you need to have extra cash um now we've continued to self-fund uh with the support of a great bank because they see our revenues every year they see that we're profitable every year uh, they see that we manage our cash extremely well and so yeah it, it's worked for us up until 
well, it's still working for us. And, you know, we've got a five year business plan and it shows that we, we actually would be OK. But I think there's always that point where you think, do we want to go faster? And, you know, that's what the cash would do for us uh, right now. Um, but so I think if you are bootstrapping, there is a way of doing it. But, you know, it's I think the advice I've had from major founders who have done something similar to us, they've always managed their overheads extremely well. Um, and I think we've always done that. You know, we've spent on what we needed to spend on. We don't get too egotistical. You know, I mean, uh, our, our offices are what they are. Uh, the you know everything that we do is is to the value of what we need it to be. Um, you know, the, every bit of cash that the business makes, we plow back into the business. So um, I think yeah. if very, very if consciously grown, yeah, yeah, I think if you're bootstrapping, you can do it. Um, don't yeah. let people tell you otherwise. And actually, something is a key bit of advice because I do have contacts that have perhaps given way too much uh, equity away too early on if you give away yeah. too much the value in your business is just diminishing year on year so really do you know think about how you're going to take investors and when you're going to give away equity it's a, it needs a strategy yeah i mean I, I i agree with that as well but i think sort of how we sort of bootstrap the business how we started is we didn't start off with a line of 30 products yeah. either we started off with one tube our original balm and as i said you know johnny was working full time um by the time we launched i was actually pregnant with our second uh child um jackson and so all through my maternity then um, you know, I was working from home. Now, again, back in 2014, there was no working from home. So I was lying to the Harvey Nichols buyer going, oh, yeah, I'll get my team to send that out to you. And yes, my team's been in contact with Vogue and Glamour and whatever. And it wasn't. It was me sat at the dining room table, you know, with a baby in hand. And they'd ask for a call. And I'm like, no, email's better. You know, because every time I picked up the phone, the, you know, Jackson would just cry. Like, you know, it just wasn't as widely accepted so I think how we afforded it was we both still had our wages yes okay you know you're working doubly as hard um but therefore you know most of the time if you if you've got a mortgage or you've got rent to pay you know you've got bills to pay you can't just stop one job and start another so there will be a lot of work um at weekends after you finish your 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 full-time job um but you know start off small we started off with one product and then because yeah. Harvard Nichols launched that and then because it grew and then Topshop did and everything and again I think going back to Johnny's um, point on exclusivity we didn't want to be exclusive to anybody we wanted to be a truly inclusive range because you couldn't get this product anywhere so we're not just going to sell it to one person because not everybody shops at Harvard Nichols mm, I love you that know? yeah, well, yeah like uh, then you're literally cutting off maybe the majority or a lot of people that don't you know shop shop at those places so i mean we knew you know we weren't we weren't gonna um do that because we wanted to be readily accessible but we started off with one product then because of the success of that and because i was you know working on that for the whole year then we realized okay maybe i, I have earned enough now that i don't have to go back um, to to that job and then the next year is when we launched the other two products which was the two tinted balms and we thought because we thought we'd try something else right it's a clear lip balm there's a lot of competition for that 
people weren't doing tinted lip balms. Let's start with that. They are now. We're no. like, yeah. <laughs> now everybody. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you know, you've made it when Nivea called the same color as what you've done, peach pink. Um, uh. But yeah, so so we did that. That you know, then we made the organic one because there was Holland and Barrett knocking on our door, and they're like, oh no, we need it to be organic. We need it to be this. We need it to be that. So we're like, okay, you know, and we just snowballed like that. So I think if you don't start off too big that you're, you know, you're going to lose your house, your job, everything like that, then you can build it up. And then it is just all self-funded and running along. Yes, it might take you slower, you know, to get there. Yeah. But for me, it's safer. Um, and at least, you know, you've got a product and you're not going to lose the roof over your heads by, you know, if you launch it and it doesn't sell. Also, I think, mm -hmm. again, and, um, some of the mistakes we've done is when we've launched too many products at once, you know, it yeah. takes away the focus of that one. If you come out with one and then build on that one and then build on that with one, when you look at all the big brands that are doing product launches now, you know, they're launching one thing and tell it like telling the whole world about that one thing. And then they launch another thing. And yeah. so I think it's, 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 it's safer, but it's better because you get more traction from just having one product and everybody talking about that one product. And especially in this world where there's so many brands, new brands launching as well, it can be quite yeah. overwhelming and oversaturated. And I think um, going back to that self-funding piece as well, like having less launches, more meaningful launches allows you to grow um, in the right cadence, uh, not necessarily too right. fast, um, which then yeah. becomes very hard to unravel. And, and it's something that we've even... Uh, said just from in a hair perspective it's obviously a very different industry um uh you have multi uh, kind of verticals so you can probably have more launches but just being an only hair brand i've i've said i'm only doing two launches a year i just can't also budget wise i can't promote two launches plus kind of keep my existing products still pushed right because you have to not forget about your your current babies that you have that need the yeah. nurturement and care um so it, it's, think... it's very important yeah I think another thing to think as well, Akash, it, it, do not feel scared to delist something yeah. from your own range. Um, I'm doing that anyway. So 100% <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Doing that right I, now. <laughs> I know. I think, you know, uh, the Pauline works in the MPD team and they're always bringing us such great new sensational ideas. And, you know, we have to keep up with trends because TikTok is unfortunately, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately with TikTok, it's, it's showing trends. And the consumer mm. is loving those trends. And so we need to keep up with uh, those or create the new trends, which we have done on a couple of our products. We've got two TikTok sensations. Um, yeah. But you've got to be prepared. If you're adding new lines to be in line with, tra uh, with fashion, you need to delist because as a business, you know, we're fully committed to not having hundreds of SKUs that basically don't do anything. You know, it's a multitasking beauty range that does more than one thing. So, you know, if something's not selling very well and the demand's not there from there, why do we keep it? So we, we take it out from the line. And, um, you so know, we true. do have some misses. I think one of the things now that we're doing a lot more of is going to our fans on TikTok, Instagram, email marketing and saying, what would you like us to make next? And we tend to give them like a multiple choice. <laughs> to, That's good to too. That's actually a good advice. Not not give it too open-ended where it's overwhelming, but kind well, of curate the, the conversation a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got everything we've been asked for over the years from pet care ranges to sexual health products. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. We're not going to go into multiple avenues too quickly, but uh, yeah, giving them some ideas that you have, 
clearly you'll find some winners. Yeah, 100%. Well, I do want to talk a bit about the products and the range you guys yes. are offering. And then if you can talk about your new range with the Pyleronic. Yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah, so look, we wanted to go into skincare because we, you know, we really felt like we had a really sort of, you know, open and buying um, audience for for our lip care and already we were saying that you know you can use the lip balm anywhere on the body that you have dry skin and from your babies to your grandparents so we really wanted to go down the skincare route because we knew that the papaya fruit what makes it so multitasking is that the papaya fruit is so multitasking you know you, mm. your poor the poor poor fruit is just as hydrating on your hair on your skin on your face as it is for your feet and for you know babies so that's really what's sort of spurred that on but we knew um, we wanted to do a skincare range because, again, everyone was telling us, oh, my God, they're wiping it all over their faces. They're using it as a moisture mask. They're putting it under their eyes because they've got really dry eyes and because there's no fragrance in it or anything. You know, they can. You know, just so many usages people were coming up with. So it really was a natural steer to it. But we thought, again, you know, we don't want to launch a 30-product range because there mm. are brands that are doing that that are being very specific and very precise which is great if you feel like you need that but we really again had to stay true to our brand and go right it's got to be multi-benefits it's it's got to be multitasking it's got to be able to do more than one thing otherwise we're kind of losing our brand identity and just trying to keep up with the joneses um so to speak and we knew that we needed a key ingredient so you know one of the um we knew that we had to have pauper in it you know, it had to have papaya um, in it because, again, that that is our story and why it's so multitasking. But again, the other ingredient that we knew that every skin type needed, again, whether it's it's sort of younger skin, more mature skin, whether you've got oily skin, combination skin, dry skin, everybody needs hyaluronic acid because everybody needs hydration. You know, you lose moisture every day, even just sitting here or going outside or doing anything you do. Your skin is constantly leaving the mo losing moisture. So you need to keep that topped up. So with those two sort of ingredients at, at the realm, we thought, well, we need to kind of sort of think of a name and, and create something that does it. So it was our scientists that said, right, you need eight different hyaluronic acids because they need to sit in all of the layers of the skin so that you're getting instant hydration. They're feeling the softness and the effect of it. But actually, the longer you use the product, you're getting that longevity as well by the ones yeah. that are sitting deeper in. So we're like, okay, we hadn't really heard of using eight hyaluronic acids, but that's great. And then with the papaya extract in there, which means that it's not only soothing, but it's nourishing, it's hydrating. Again, suitable for all skin types. Um, we just knew it was the perfect marriage. So then we had to like try and think of a name. And it was literally just a brainstorming session. And we were trying to think of names for ages. Um, and then literally it's like papaya laronic, you know, because of the Y and the A in there, we were able to create papaya laronic, which is a mix of papaya and eight um, hyaluronic acids. So then because that ingredient was so good, we're like, well, it's got to be in everything because you want it in your eye cream, you want it in your SPF, you know, the only product it's not in is your cleanser because you don't want to wash away um, all that hydration. But So then we just kind of knew the story for it. But even, you know, sort of things like our SPF 50, which has now sort of become a, a hero product, um, that was probably one of the products that took the longest to formulate because my want list was so tight that, you know, I didn't want it to leave a white cast. You know, I've been around the beauty industry using SPF 50. Everyone's recommending SPF 50 because it's the best, but it's so thick 
and leaves a white cast and just isn't inclusive of skin tone. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I, I, I can't leave a white cast. We have to do something that doesn't do this. Um, then I also wanted it to absorb in quickly so that you could actually put makeup on top of it. Because, again, a lot of our audience are makeup artists. So I can't give them a product that then you put an SPF 50 on and then you put concealer on and it peels or it rubs off and, you know, then you can't sort of use it. So it had to be makeup friendly. Um, but also it had to look good on your skin on an, on your own as if you were just wearing a primer or like a glowing, you know. So my list was very difficult, but I really do think I got those three key products in, in one, which again is what a, a lot of the makeup artists that have used it and came to our launch said, oh my God, this is a three in one, you know, it should be called a mm. three in one. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, because it's our SPF 50, it's our moisturizer, but it's also a primer and a and a glowing primer. Um, so yeah, so it's things like that, you know, uh, also with the serum, um, you know, as well. I mean, I'm a beauty junkie. I have bought every product under the sun. I've used it. Some have fallen in love with some of like that is an absolute waste of money. So the thing that I wanted to do, again, cut down on my time because I've, I've got kids. I'm doing the school run. I'm trying to get ready for work um, is I was sick of putting multiple serums on my face. And everyone is selling you a hyaluronic acid serum for hydration, a retinol for anti-aging, a vitamin C for brightening, you know, and something for like soothing or roacia ro or anti-redness. But, you know, you had to buy all four separately. And when I actually gave this brief to our chemists, they honestly turned around and they're a massive company in Korea that like it's Korean skincare um, yeah. is where it's made. They literally uh, turned around and said to me on the phone, nobody's ever asked for this before. And I was like, that's why I want it. If no other brand ever has asked you to put these four serums together, these four key ingredients, I'm like, then I definitely want it. Again, that was a really hard one to formulate is getting the stability of those four ingredients and, you know, and making sure it doesn't run and it absorbs in and, you know, it's not sticky because sometimes yeah. serums have a, a, a problem going sticky. So, yeah, that was another multitasking moment that's like, right, I want one serum that's going to do all four of those things. Yeah. Right. And I just want to just pick up on the retail success that we've had with the range because yeah. I'm sure you'd probably the, – the listeners, if they're owning a beauty brand, they know when you go across channel, it becomes extremely hard. But um, we've managed to get listings, obviously, in the U.K. with Superdrug and uh, look fantastic – uh, we launched in Priceline in Australia in 400 stores with the skincare range. Uh, we've launched it in the Middle East, uh, in Carrefour, Spinney's, uh, Waitrose. Uh, we've launched it in Spain with Primor, uh, with Hondas in Greece. Um, uh, my, uh, we've launched it into DM in Bulgaria and Romania. And so it's, it's literally expanding uh, as we go. Uh, we're just trying to control the demand on the the stock and then obviously find the right retailers because again with i think what we've learned over the years is where to sell the goods so yeah. um you know balms are a mass mastige product that can be picked up everywhere but skincare needs education it needs advice and you need the right type of store stroke sellers to help you promote the product and you know that's something that we're working extremely hard on it's just so exciting to see the innovation and the growth but what's coming up in the horizon that you're excited about what's the future of you know for you guys what's the future for uh, dr popo in your mind 
I mean, yeah, I've definitely got more ideas. You know, we've, we've definitely got more ideas. We're seeing more trends, more ingredients that, you know, that come out and are beneficial. So there's definitely more room to grow. We're not we're not finished yet. Um, we've got a few, few products we'd like to add uh, to the skincare line. Um, we've also got some more sort of balms and some more sort of multitasking balms in, in that respect. Um, and and also, you know, there are other ranges that we want to tap into as well, especially because we do want to be a whole hair, bath and skincare range. You know, so the whole hair, bath and body, um, you know, we really want to expand on because, like I said, the poor, poor fruit is just as nourishing for your hair, your face, your skin as it is in your bath. So, yeah, I've definitely got ideas for a lot more. This this isn't the end of the range. Exciting. And then, and then business-wise, uh, yeah. Yeah, business-wise, I mean... Because of all our work with uh, investors, uh, all of our work, you know, now having a CFO here, you know, financial controller, that we've never known so much about the business. And I think if I was giving advice to my younger self, I mean, I, I would be making sure I had more financial knowledge in the early days, because what you get to know once you really get into detailed numbers, it's incredible. And you can mm. really start to map your future. Uh, but you know, the US is now 20% of our turnover, which, you know, for, I, 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 we often talk and we're 10 years old, but really 2020 was when it all kicked off uh, for like for a lot of beauty businesses, the lockdown, you know, was probably one of the scariest things that we went into. And it was an absolute blessing to us as a business. Um, and so we talk about the, the last four years, really, for three years being the, where the business really uh, kicked off we the plan is to develop the us um we we see that as a major opportunity because the us customer really understands the the balm they understand the the skincare and so we want to develop that um but we also have this thing about the far east um yeah. korea uh mainland china with the changes to animal testing coming through on our, on our natural products that they really resonate with papaya. Uh, they really resonate with some of the fragrances like mango, which is in some of yeah. our products. And so we've got big plans there. So own our UK market, develop the US and seek the opportunity that's in that's in China. Super exciting. Um, so now it's time for fire round questions. But uh, I do have a desert island situation for you both. Oh. So imagine you're invited to a founded beauty island or somewhere. Uh, let's imagine it's, it's warm, it's an island, but you can both bring only one product each. You can obviously share. So keep that in mind in your answers uh, if, you, if you're willing. Uh, but yeah, so what will you bring Pauline to the desert island first? Mine would have to be the SPF. I have to bring an SPF to protect my skin whilst I'm on the island. I mean, logic answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, then I'll bring the shampoo, which is a shampoo and body wash just to keep us smelling fresh. And that's like two in perfect. So I yes. think together you, got, you guys have it, you have it covered, which is a, a yeah, perfect I, duo. I think <laughs> when they come to find us on the island, you know how if you remember Tom Hanks in Castaway, he yes, has this long beard and he looked terrible. They'll come and find us and we'll look great. You look so, great yeah. and you'll smell great, which is the yeah. best part. Yeah, they'll, um, they'll think that we just landed. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, you just you just rocked up. Um, yes. So now it's uh, four fire round questions and I'll let you guys go. But the first question and um, I'll ask it and then you guys can decide who takes it away first. Um, the first question is, what's another beauty brand 
in any vertical that you're currently loving right now? I always I love the Inky list. Yeah. I love what Mark and Colette have done. I think, you know, they've they've really done incredibly well uh, with their brand. It's worldwide recognized. They work with basically, I think, like one retailer worldwide, which I just, it makes me nervous. But I think they're fantastic in, in what they've done and they work so hard and it's it's a great concept. 100 so, i love them too they're, they're they're incredible yeah. founders they're great like you both yeah. like that you, you both yeah. remind me uh the way you guys have your same work ethic and conscious capitalist approach and brand building i think you guys are very similar as founders so oh, yeah thank you yeah and pauline Oh, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Mine has to be um, Charlotte Tilbury. I just love all the makeup artists that then started doing, you know, their own brands. And I know that there's, you know, loads of them like to mention. Um, but I would have to say um, Charlotte Tilbury. And I, I know she's got investment and things like that. But the, the packaging is just incredible. Um, yeah, you know, as well the as the product thing. that's in yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. As well as the product that's that's in there. And, you know, she literally uses it on herself. She uses it on all of her celebrity clients. And you can see and you can recreate the look. I really do think she shook up the makeup market um, when she did launch by, like, selling those you know, iconic looks, you know, like the rock star, like the Glamazon, you know. And, um, and yeah, and I still use her products to this day because I just, I love using a makeup artist. I love using a person who's in the industry, who's experienced in it and using the products that they actually use. 100%. It's both really good uh, brands. I'm I'm, I'm happy. Uh, And it's very true. What Charlotte's done, I think, is really... change the industry and it's always great to feel that when you have a brand that you created um my next question is what or where is your happy place oh i'm a beach person i I find so much energy um and and relaxation from the beach so like the waves the sand the sunsets um you know we've been so fortunate uh to be ever able to travel um all over the world together take our kids with us me and johnny absolutely love travel so i've seen sunsets from australia you know to ibiza to you know um anywhere so malaysia. Um, I, I couldn't oh, yeah malaysia. malaysia yeah um so i couldn't name um just one beach but i would say my happy place is any beach how about you, Johnny? Oh, I've got three. I'm very selfish. Yeah. So I, I have to just, and I'll name them very quickly. Obviously, Go one spending it. times with the family because really, why do we do everything? Family. So that's one. Two, I will know where I want to retire. So Kefalonia Beach uh, in Greece. It's a little island. So we, we know that. We like the blue water. But my day-to-day happy place where I go to get some relax is actually we have a local nature reserve where I go for walks in woodland. It's actually called forest bathing, I have learned yeah. doing this. forest bathing, yeah. just being forest out bathing. in nature. And, just yeah. being, and also I, if you can take your feet uh, like you know, on the ground, actually ground as well. It's another tip or no. Well, <laughs> you're supposed to, but obviously we live in the UK where it rains all the time. It rains, so. buddy. <laughs> No, so I don't do it. But um, it's the smell of the woods, the trees, the fresh air, you know, nature. Yeah. So sorry, I took three. No, rightly so. Um, (laughs) My next question is, um, what is your hidden talent? Well, apart from obviously Mm -hmm. my amazing humor, which Pauline will tell me I'm not funny. And the team regularly tell me my jokes are terrible. Um, uh, I mean, I obviously can sing. I'm not obviously, I can sing. So You can um, sing. Yeah, that is. Uh, 
I, I grew it. up loving uh, George Michael and his amazing voice. And so, mm. uh, yeah, singing uh, would be my hidden talent. Amazing. How about you, Pauline? Oh, my God. I really don't know. I really, I really don't have it. I can't cook. I can't, I can't, I can't run. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, you say for her, Johnny. I'll tell you. So Pauline is amazing with fashion. I mean, this is where she gets her amazing qualities mm. around oh. color and design and having that yeah. eye. So do you know that person you go shopping with and then they see yeah. two things that would never work together? I mean, I buy everything off the mannequin. Uh, that's how yeah, bad yeah, yeah. I am, you know. Uh, you know, when Top Man closed down, I, I went into a panic. Um, You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, what do I do now? Uh, whereas Pauline can see something in one retailer and something in another, and she puts the two together. So, uh, you know, she like has a hidden quite, stylist. Yeah, she is a hidden stylist. She would have been a great stylist. You know, maybe that should be oh, your next. So cool. Next yeah. Job. Oh, thank you. It's funny because <laughs> my, my next question, which leads us perfect to it, is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would you be doing? So maybe, Pauline, you could answer. Would that be something fashion, stylist? Yeah. I definitely would have been a stylist. I mean, I always sort of looked at fashion design. Um, and thought that would be nice, but I can't draw. I'm like, I'm really awful at drawing. You know, the proportions are just ridiculous. You know? um, but I can see what other people have made and I can put it together. So whether that's in like um, interior design, styling, I could be someone's personal shopper. Give me your credit card. I'll go shopping for you. No worries. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, something like that, like styling. I would have loved styling. And I guess... Johnny, to, I, oh no! I was yeah. going to say, do I have to be? Uh, you, pe- do I have to be paid? No, no. <laughs> well, let's, let's, uh, yeah, you could do what you want. Well, let's say I've made it, right? So yeah, we've made exactly. it, right? You made it. Then I would just play guitar, sing, write songs, have my own recording studio, and just bore people to death with all my recordings, and uh, and then probably eventually make it on some really bad, you know singing contest and then become a pop no you're gonna be, you're in... gonna skip that pet. you're gonna go straight to a number one hit then we're gonna we're gonna I'll, skip that yeah i, yeah, I, yeah. I want to be like a pop star that makes it like you know when i'm at 60 and 70 yeah <laughs> that's uh we, we we need to create an entrepreneur to singing music competition that's what we yeah. need to do well, ceo to yeah. uh <laughs> to, to, to songwriters <laughs> we figure out our name they do keep talking about like we're becoming an aging population so maybe there is a chance for me to sell lots of well see i was going to say sell lots of records i'm clearly out of touch no exactly i was like (laughs) uh stream and make very little commission (laughs) that's the new norm yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's that's the that's why for sure you need to need to first make it before starting a singing today because it's so hard to make money as a singer today it's really difficult it's really about the it's been my plan all along I've been, this is, this is all part of the journey. This is in, this is in the, well, I'm excited. <laughs> That's why I asked that question at the end. Cause I'm always like, you know, think about that later. But, um, the guys, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you guys and hearing you your too. story. It's so inspiring and Thank so you. many nuggets of wisdom, but everyone will want to continue hearing your journey and following the brand. So where can they both follow your individual instas or, sh- or socials if you have, or the brand for sure? Yeah, I, I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, I, I I live on LinkedIn. And actually, just so people know, I mean, we do try to get back to everybody, but we have regularly run mentorship programs. We have uh, actually a, a competition that's being launched this year with a major award ceremony where you can win a mentorship with Dr. Paul Paul. But uh, yeah, we love to help people. We don't believe, I think you something you said earlier, don't believe in competition. You know, it's... Uh, 
it just really it doesn't exist because there's enough people in the world to buy all our products um but yeah they if you want to uh, dm me i think it's called you know if there's something that we can do to help we, we will always uh, try and i'm an instagram girl i love a photo um yeah so yeah so <laughs> i'm very rarely on linkedin so i'm really sorry if you get in contact with me like that and i don't get back in contact with you um but yeah i'm on instagram we've got our dr paul paul page um but i'm also at mrs uh dr paul paul um so and that's where you'll see like you know a lot of my collabs and a lot of you know the things that we're doing like i said you know i'm quite an advocate as well for for women's founded brands as well yeah. so i work with a lot of other women that have started brands or starting brands um and also doing doing mentorships like that as well for for girls because it is it is different being a female um you know out out there you know so but um but yeah that's where i am on instagram <laughs> especially like just like a sign note but especially in a very heavily male dominated vc world to raise capital i think what you guys also can share a lot is how you don't have to raise capital necessarily and yeah. start you know step by step and exactly just need the right mentors and people that champion and understand what you're going yes. through it's yeah. a yes. powerful thing definitely yeah. oh, well, well I'll make sure I'll put all the links to your Insta LinkedIn's uh, in the summary and obviously the brand itself Dr. Topor so everyone can follow on TikTok and on Instagram and the website but uh, guys uh, I can't wait to continue our conversations off podcast you, it's just the beginning thank of you. our friendship and our collaborations together as well yeah, yeah. thank you thank you thank so, you so much, much for having us I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.